Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. And I'm very excited to have my friend Alan Underwood in the studio today. He is with Angel Flight West, a command pilot and the Arizona Outreach Coordinator. Welcome, Alan. Thank you. I so say, good to see you. Yeah, likewise. We, I think we were thinking it was probably October when we had a chance to meet in person. We have Aaron Velke to thank for that introduction. We do. So shout out to Aaron, who's been so great about sending incredible people our way. So thank you, Aaron. And we quickly really found ourselves in a really organic and authentic deep conversation, which I think you and I both tend to do anyway. Right. <laughs> uh, but we really, I, I really felt like we came, became fast friends, and I appreciate that, um, that opportunity to get to know you better. Yeah, that was a great afternoon. I'm looking forward to today, too. Yeah, so let's see where it goes um, today with today's conversation. We really want to have a chance to just spotlight the work that you're doing as a volunteer, and I think it's important, of course, when we hear about great work that people are doing to serve our community, the backstory. So what, to whatever degree you want to share that with us. I'd love to hear that. So let's start by having you tell us who is Angel Flight West, and then we'll talk about your origin story and how you landed there. Okay, landed. That's a great yeah, intro. Yeah. That wasn't on purpose, <laughs> but plink, let's see how many of those I can do today. <laughs> we'll get better as the, after, as the morning goes on, right? right? So Angel Flight West is a volunteer organization. We give healing and hope to people using donated aircraft, pilots who donate their time. A uh, really good example of that uh, if I, I'll just share my most recent experience with Angel Flight West is I had an opportunity to fly with a young man who lives in Bakersfield, California, and uh, was undergoing treatment for an autoimmune disease that was attacking his brain. And the best treatment option for him was Tucson. And so obviously that's a very long commute for his family to make that trip. Uh, fortunately, they connected with a social worker who had interaction with Angel Flight West they posted that a flight was available. I picked up that flight. And so uh, in this case, I was helping him return home. So I flew to Tucson, uh, went and picked uh, he and his mom up and drove him to the airport. And then we took my plane. I flew him to Lake Havasu where we had lunch. And then another one of our Angel Flight pilots picked him up there and took them home. And so that's one example of uh, just how we serve people in need that and really what it is, is when somebody has a medical crisis of any kind, really, there's three questions that really come up. And the first one is going to be, what are my options? How am I going to deal with this problem? Where is the best treatment? The next one is, how are we going to pay for this? Because the cost of that travel can add it to the medical cost, can just be devastating for families. And then the next one is list logistically, how are we going to handle that? And so what I love about Angel Flight West is all of those questions we can answer. Uh, we answer the question of what your options are by providing that free transportation by air. We answer the question of how are you going to pay for it because we cover the cost of that transportation entirely. It's 100% free to the families and to the service providers. And then also logistically, you know, that drive would have taken him seven hours. And between the couple of flights that we did, it was about maybe three hours of travel. So it's just a wonderful organization. Do you know how it got started and how long ago Angel Flight West started? Yeah. So I was just in Santa Monica for our annual retreat. Where it originated, is, right? Yeah, yeah. Originated there 40 years ago. And uh, since that time, it's, it's grown. We have about 2,000 volunteer pilots now. 
Uh, and honestly, our biggest challenge is not getting pilots to fly because we love to fly as pilots. That's the easy part. The more difficult part is connecting with hospitals, caregivers, cancer centers, burn treatment centers. Uh, we do flights for victims of domestic violence and abuse so that they can relocate to an area that will be safe. Uh, disaster relief missions. And they didn't have anybody doing outreach in Arizona until I volunteered to do that about six months ago. And it's been wonderful connecting with, I had a meeting with the governor's office on faith, family, and, and community a few weeks ago. Uh, I've been meeting with Yuma Regional Medical Center. Uh, but really my biggest goal this year would be to connect with outlying communities and their hospitals. And that's been difficult to do post-COVID. They don't want to let you in the door to to right. talk to them. Even though you have this great gift that comes with no cost, no strings attached. Yeah. Sometimes we're leery of that, <laughs> right? Right. They think there's some catch. Yes. Yeah. How often when you are um, having these conversations with these decision makers and people who could really benefit from your work, do they say, we've never heard of you? Does that happen frequently? Not you necessarily, Alan, but even anybody in the organization. Yeah. Well, speaking of my experience, every time. Really? Yeah. Uh, I've never had an opportunity a time where I've met with someone where they've said, oh, yeah, I've heard about this, but we we're forgot. just not using yeah. it. Yeah. I've never had that happen. Yeah. So okay. that so, would be fun for it to happen once. Yes. <laughs> what a great need then. And, um, and the fact that you've said, let me help <laughs> on the end of outreach here in Arizona specifically. And when you talk about the outli outlying areas, you're t saying outside the greater Phoenix area. Yeah. So targets for me this year would be areas like Sholo, Safford. Yeah. Uh, Navajo County, any of Page, Flagstaff, Havasu, Yuma. So any of those areas where we know they're not served by a children's hospital. Yes. Um, and they're not probably not going to have advanced care for cancer, burn victims. They may not have facilities uh, that can meet the demand for domestic violence and abuse victims. We also fly blood and tissue donations. So those are missions that we serve on a regular basis as well. But those ones seem easier to find. The blood banks are usually pretty easy to get in touch with. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really the medical centers that we want to be in contact with and letting them know that this resource is available. Uh, we estimate right now that we're only serving maybe 5 to 10% of the people that we could be serving. And so there's a lot of room for improvement. I already have an idea. <laughs> we'll talk about I love it, it after the show. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Wow. Were you a pilot in your previous career? Tell our listeners about how you found your way to becoming a pilot. I was a wannabe pilot for most of my life. Um, in fact, the first time that I really, probably that occurred to me, I was six years old. Uh, my grandpa was a master sergeant in the Air Force. He worked at Luke Air Force Base. And I can remember at a young age him putting me in the cockpit. I, I think it was an F-16. If it wasn't, I want to say that it was because I love the F-16. <laughs> Let's just go with that. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to pretend. <laughs> But I think that's what it was. And ever since then, I would go to air shows. I've taken my kids to air shows. It was always a desire that I had. It was something I never pursued after I got uh, married. My wife's uncle was killed in a small plane crash. And so for her, there was a lot of fear with me climbing in an airplane. And so, no, I actually didn't start flying until about a year and a half ago. And... Um, yeah, in that time, went from never having flown a plane to being a commercial and instrument-rated pilot. And I've crisscrossed the country a couple of times in airplanes now and, and just love every minute of a it. A year and a half ago. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you've got a little tenacity and drive in you. Tell us about your 
career now, so you do this volunteer-wise, are you are you also currently working, and what do you do that gives you room and space to volunteer in this capacity? Well, room and space is relative. I don't know that the the desire that the work will ever keep up with the desire to serve. Well, I've I've done a lot of different things. I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, that started probably when I was really young. I think I started delivering newspapers when I was like 11 years old. Uh-huh. Right now, my primary focus is in real estate. I'm developing uh, about a 100-unit apartment complex in Mesa from the ground up, which I haven't done before. That's right. uh, so I've been figuring that out as I go along. We're just about to the point where it might actually start looking like we're doing something with the property. So that's exciting. That'll be you know, a culmination of about six years worth of work and effort and that probably could have been done by somebody more intelligent in maybe two or three years. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to learn the process. So uh, that's what we've done. And then in addition to that, I've also recently, and this is since you and I spoke last, through some of the outreach that I was doing with Angel Flights, ran into a problem needing a solution. And uh, what that is, is the baby boomer generation as they're aging, there are a lot of them, especially with recent increases in home prices and rent, that simply can't afford the price of rent. Many are ending up homeless. And I ran into a group that was basically they were renting a house and then subletting to eight or 10 seniors who were sharing rooms. They're independent, so there's not care provided. It's not like a residential assisted living. And they're renting a shared room for $600 to $1,000 a month. And their biggest challenge was they were social workers and care providers, not business people. They didn't understand how to leverage finance, how to find off-market properties, and use those to serve the overwhelming demand that they have. All of the houses they have are completely full, and they have every day they're getting phone calls for other people that need a place to go. And so since November, we've opened three of those homes, and we've got, now we're looking at two in Dallas, and another two, hopefully two to three this month that will come online here in Phoenix. And so we're providing the real estate, they're providing the care and the logistical support for those seniors. And it's just been a really gratifying thing. Uh, I'm hoping that turns out to be profitable as well as caring. Yes. Um, but right now there's just such a huge need for that. So that's been I a fun I feel like adventure. you talked about the seed had been planted when we met, maybe because it feels a little bit familiar. Uh, so to hear that you're that far along uh, yeah. when we talked about it is amazing. And if I recall correctly, I think I remember you saying, too, that really there's no reason to reinvent the wheel on some of these things that we do when we're servant leaders. How can we help each other achieve right. a mission? Does that sound familiar? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and really what it was is I, I like to see myself as an accelerator of what other people are doing. So they already knew they already had the connections for the seniors. They already knew how the houses needed to be set up. Their challenge was just how do we go out and expand this? And that's what we do. And it's a challenge with the cost of homes, even in a declining market right now and higher interest rates, you know, for us to be able to acquire a home that then these people can afford is a difficult challenge and requires a lot of work and effort. But it's also really rewarding because, again, a lot of these people were sleeping in their cars or or other things before they get into a home. So, Wow. So you mentioned the, uh, the, the other state that you're in right now already helping there is where? Right now, in fact, I, I should be under contract on a house in Dallas, the Dallas-Fort yeah. Worth area 
uh, by the end of the day. So, And I'm sure the, the demand and need is all across the country. Yeah, and we've only talked to people in those two markets. Yeah. I think there are probably other people that are trying to meet that demand. Um, that's an objective that we have is to meet them and see who they are and how can we support what they're doing. So just uh, really motivated to provide housing for people that wouldn't be able to do it otherwise. Yeah. So. Tell us about any growth opportunity that you've had in your life, either as a young man growing up or even in recent years, that really has helped shape who you are today. Is there any, any chat? I mean, you're talking about helping people who have great challenges, right? And right. sometimes we're inspired and motivated because we have somebody, an influence like your grandfather, those sorts of things. But where has your life taken you uh, to lead you to how you are doing this today and being this the servant leader that you are? Oh, thank you for asking that question. So... When you were asking that, the thing that came to mind is uh, my wife's a gardener. Any good gardener would know that before anything comes out of the ground, it usually has to put get pushed pretty deep into the ground. I would say that's where the learning and growth has come is for me. That started, and you and I discussed this a little bit. Like I said, I've always been an entrepreneur. I own a restaurant chain. I did car dealerships and very successful. And then um, all of that started to unravel a little bit in 2018 for me personally. Uh, we found out that my mother-in-law had cancer, and uh, within a week, she was gone. And that was a huge blow. It was a total shock to the whole family, to my wife especially. They were best friends. They they walked together every morning. They lived a mile away. And honestly, I didn't I didn't realize what how difficult that was for her. That realization would come a little bit later. Uh, about 13 months later, she also lost her dad to cancer. Again, just another blow. Then after that, in October of 2020, my dad had a massive stroke and passed away. And in the midst of the pandemic, we weren't allowed to be in the hospital for that passing. I have gained a very real appreciation for trauma for people that struggle with depression and anxiety. I would say prior to those experiences that I don't say I I wouldn't say I was indifferent to what they were feeling, but I also didn't understand it and so was not very compassionate towards it. We I, don't know when we don't know. Yeah. Well, my basic attitude was like, okay, so you're sad. Like, go feel better and get back to work or whatever it was. Not recognizing that trauma alters your brain. It changes you uh, in ways I think that sometimes we're not even aware of. And for me, in the middle of the pandemic, with all of that stuff going on in the background, I just felt like I couldn't function. I you know, had always been very high-functioning, uh, always able to envision the next step and take the next step. I would show up to work you know, at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, and by noon, often I would be in a parking lot somewhere asleep in the back seat of my truck just because I couldn't handle what was going on in my life. And I knew pretty quickly that if something didn't change, that it was not only would I be hurt, but all of the 20 or 25 people and their families that were working with me would be hurt because I wasn't able to lead during that time. And so we made the decision to sell the business in, in December of 2020. I think sell is a generous term. I if I sat down with 100 business guys in Phoenix and showed them that the that transaction, they would either were would be wishing that they were on the purchasing end of that transaction or they would wonder what really was wrong with me when that happened. It wasn't much of a sale. It was more of a gift. Yeah, I think it would be really easy to feel like I really made a terrible mistake in doing that. But I can recognize that the version of Alan 
that existed at that time wasn't capable of a better decision. And my mentors, my heroes, the guys that I counseled with, my dad and my father-in-law, were gone. And I didn't know who to turn to or who to talk to. And even if I had been able to, I just couldn't see. In fact, my wife and I were walking this morning and discussing our current business. And and she had asked, well, you know, what if things go wrong like like they did with the dealership? And I said, well, the dealership wasn't an economic problem. The dealership was a mental problem. And yeah, that could happen again. And if it does, we'll probably have a similar result. Except that I think now I have a much better network of guys like Aaron Falke and, and others. There's 15, 20 guys here in the Valley that I've connected with in the last, since October, that have made a huge impact and influenced their guys that I know I can pick up the phone and reach out and call. And they're going to make sound business decisions. More than that, I know that they care about me and they're going to help counsel me through those difficult things. So, you know, some of the takeaways from that are number one, one of the strongest feelings I've had is that just looking for other people that are going through difficult experiences. Um, and I think that's what draws me to the housing projects that, that we're doing. That's what draws me to angel flights is I feel like now I have a better vision into what people are feeling and experiencing and able to connect with them through that and, and be able to use the talents and skills and blessings that I've been given to be able to help them through that. So one lesson is just compassion. I think I'm much, much more compassionate person than I was, much more understanding. Um, there's room to grow there still for Always. sure. <laughs> Always. <laughs> and also just increased desire to, to be a servant leader. I think before I was a leader and sometimes a servant, and I feel like those roles have really switched places. I feel almost to where maybe I need to dial back some of the, <laughs> some of the giving. Um, but I really feel like as we put that out, that it will come back to us in good ways. And uh, I'm waiting for those outcomes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing from a very deep place. Um, I know we had the opportunity to share our stories when we met that day. Yeah. And we talked about the possibility of you coming on and, and talking a little bit about it as it relates to what's going on in your world today and how you're showing up. So thank you. And I love that you've spoken to not only Aaron and the, the just the camaraderie and the friendship and the mentorship that you all can offer each other and that that group is growing and expanding. Yeah. Love hearing that. We had some gentlemen on yesterday, and they have, they're very similar. They're two brothers, uh, a lot younger than you and I. And, uh, <laughs> and they have this incredible community that is raising the vibration for everybody that they touch. They're really careful about um, their messaging and how they're serving. They're very Christ-based and centered-based. It's really fun for me and very reassuring that our our business community here in the greater Phoenix area, this is a thread that runs throughout most of who I connect with and have an opportunity to interview. So thank you. I'm glad you're a part of that. Yeah, and that has actually been one of the biggest takeaways this year as well, is as I've connected with other successful individuals, I was expecting a high degree of business success and drive and performance. What I was not expecting was the underlying compassion their willingness to be vulnerable and share the first of the meetings that I walked into. And I've shared this with the guys is I literally driving over was anticipating walking into the room and having a retinal scanner or something go, uh, you don't qualify. You know, you I can turn around you, and walk out the your door. Story then, but I remember you saying you went in a little intimidated, <laughs> very intimidated. Yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget one of the, one of the guys there as I talked to him and shared while I was feeling that way, you know, he was just very willing. He said, I'm a recovering cocaine addict and I belong here. You belong here. 
that real warmth and inviting that, you know, you do belong in the room and stay here. We got you. Um, and so it's been wonderful to be able to go to this group with, hey, we've got challenge with teenagers or I'm looking at this business opportunity. What do you see? Or what are you doing? How can I accelerate that? Uh, or how can we give together? So it's been a wonderful experience. So it, really, that's a real first for me to have a a group like that that I can I've been able to connect with so closely and so quickly. Incredible. We talked a little bit about this, and we're talking about you know kind of the recent experience and your difficulty coming out of the trauma after losing so many parents and and best friends. Yeah. Uh, how do you view mental health today after going through your own experience with depression and trauma and all of that? Is it different than your, I mean, you touched on a little bit, but tell us a little bit about mental health and, and you as an advocate for that part of our life. Well, you just hit a real raw spot there. I didn't know that was there. Um, you know, I think the first thing that I would say is just to anybody that's listening to know somebody or themselves are dealing with a difficult mental challenge is reach out and there are people that have been there i'm just learning that there is another side to that uh, which wasn't i think maybe it was something i i felt like was coming when you and i met the first time that's just developed more the recognition that as difficult as it was that there is something better at the under, other end of that there's a better version of you. There's better opportunities. Uh, there's increased joy and happiness. All of that can come. And also maybe just the extent to which trauma and mental health can affect people. My wife and I are just realizing, you know, how the trauma of losing three grandparents in three years is affecting our kids and learning how to allow them to share. My daughter is writing a book a story about a girl who loses her grandparents and that's her way of dealing with it. Others of the kids need to talk about it or need aggressive sports or mm -hmm. whatever it is, but um, learning to be, you know, the theme that I lived with last year was be there and learning just to be there with people. Um, you're not going to be able to solve the challenge, but somebody just knowing that somebody else cares and is willing to listen I think is a really, really big deal. So that, that's one of the biggest takeaways. Uh, and also I've learned not to be embarrassed that I went through a mental illness. Um, it's a part of me. And I wouldn't have been able to say this until recently, but I'm grateful also that I've had those experiences. Hopefully that's the one time in my life when God has to reach out and, and give me that particular challenge. I don't want to have it again. Uh, but at the same time, if those things were to come up, I feel like I'm better equipped now. And also, more importantly than that, I just feel like I've been given eyes to see other people who are suffering mm -hmm. and a real desire to reach out and ask, how can I help? What can I do? Or can I just sit here and be with you while you're going through this? Critical. I would love to share my story briefly. I know you're familiar with it, but for our listeners, I think it's important. Something that you touched on right now is what's compelling me to share, and that is the idea that we need to give each other hope. I can't remember the statistic that I read recently and where it was, but it was talking about when we lose hope, that's when it's critical. Yeah. So whether it's mental health or a physical disease or, or something that's catastrophic that's happened in our life or, or the people around us, 
when we lose hope, that's when suicidal ideation creeps in right. and, and we feel like we're the only one, no one can help us, we're ashamed, we feel guilty, whatever that stuff is that gets wrapped around there. And, and that's when we have people choosing to end their life early. Yeah. I know I shared with you and, and a handful of our listeners will be familiar as well. And for, in uh, 2019, in October, my then husband attempted suicide and survived gunshot wound through his head. Uh, I had no idea of the difficulty was difficulty he was experiencing mental health wise. Although his business was having some challenges, and there was addiction there as well, and gambling, and you know, cocaine and alcohol, you name it. I didn't realize the magnitude of of what he was experiencing, and I lost him to that battle. Even though he's still alive and living yeah. in Wisconsin now, so. For the last three and a half years, <laughs> up until probably right around Christmas time, I've been trying to find my way out of a paper bag, keep my businesses afloat, be willing to ask for help, accept the community's help. And about three or four days after he landed in the hospital, I shared this with you, I think I, I recall telling you, I woke up and I had it on my heart to talk about what was happening while it was happening. I've always been an open book and an open book on social media. It's one of the things that I've been known for, for business and personally. And I thought, oh, you can't ask me to do that right now. Yeah. This, is not, this is not my story to tell. I'm not the one laying in the hospital. And this is just too big. I don't know how I'm going to navigate my way through this. And the, and the message, and it was, you know, planted on my heart divinely. This is what I've prepared you to do your whole life. And I thought, oh, my gosh, how, you know, how, right. how could that even be possible? I'm grateful for the community. I'm grateful for having a voice. I've been, become an advocate for trauma-informed workplaces, working through mental health issues. I have a 15-year-old who is, you know, his dad is, is uh, we've lost his dad to this, and helping him, like you mentioned about your kids, find his way of having a conversation with himself, with, with me, with friends, with professionals, so that he doesn't feel the shame or the I'm different. And then those low points when we have challenges mentally is the piece that we often forget, right? We would never have a broken arm <laughs> and feel shame about it, I don't think. I mean, maybe, right. but... Or, or Depends on how you got that. Yeah, broken exactly. Arm, I was just maybe, gonna but... say, maybe, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> Might feel proud. <laughs> maybe proud, and, and yet we likely wouldn't let it go unattended to. Right. Right. And we do that with mental health. There's so much shame and so much stigma piled on top of it. And I've even written about this as well. You and I talked about when we were together that day. I could walk into a room and I could perform, not maybe as high performing as I was, you know, prior to 2019. And you alluded to that too. And if I was not candid with people um, and honest with myself, no one might know the struggles right. that I'm having. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be an open book all the time. I tend to be that way more than most people. But back to your point, there's no shame in mental health and the challenges that we have. And now more than ever, especially all of us collectively moving through this COVID, whatever this has been, where the, you know, the tablecloth got ripped out underneath from all of us in a variety of ways. Yeah. Many people losing so many family members in this time period, whether it was related or not. I think we're realizing we're human <laughs> right. and we need connection. And I think also as you talk about your former husband is being able to separate their attempt at medication, it wasn't the right dose. It wasn't the right medication. But ultimately, he was trying to solve some pain. Yep. And I think maybe this is another lesson is I think previously I would have looked at that behavior and placed a label on, well, he's an alcoholic or he's a drug addict or whatever. And that may be true that there's some truth in that. But 
the underlying truth there is there is somebody that's hurting and they're attempting to solve that hurt in the best way that they know how to do the it. The only way they know how. Yeah. And if we can look past that and find ways to reach through, then we can make a big difference in the world. It's interesting. I was at a birthday celebration in December, and my ex-husband and I shared the same birthday in December. And it was about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and I was around 20 friends. They'd all got done sharing kind of their hope for me this coming year. And then I got to say something. And it was at 1 o'clock that I realized this is the first time in 17 years that I had not, my first thought was not that we shared our birthday together. And so I went, wait a second. To me, it was a sign of healing, not that I don't still love and care for him. And I was like, wow, I really am healing. Yeah. And, and my birthday is my birthday again. And so I raised a glass and uh, orange juice for me. And we <laughs> toasted to Mike and his birthday. And it just kind of like sat in this, oh, how nice that, that I'm, I'm on the other side of that. Later that night, I was at another birthday celebration. One of the same women was at this other celebration. And <laughs> she's one of my dearest friends. And she said, before we toast, I just want to say that I am not going to raise my glass to, you know, Karen's ex-husband <laughs> this time. The anger... Yeah. And the sadness that she still harbored and carried on behalf of my situation and my story, and also having lost a friend because she knew Mike, yeah. um, really hit me by surprise. Because as you just spoke to, we tend to feel angry and, and frustrated and point a finger and label. And none of that is really helpful. And, right. and I'm not making her wrong for that. And I, and I certainly am not making Mike wrong for what he went through. If we can find a way for compassion, respect, forgiveness, and take a look at ourselves through that lens as a, maybe a casualty or somebody going through these experiences, we're so much better off in our healing journey. Yeah. If we harbor those resentments, then our own illness takes place. Right. And I think with your friend, that'd be a really great conversation to have is... How is this still hurting you? Yes. Uh, and how can we help let that go? Yeah. You know, because that's a heavy burden to carry. Huge burden. Whether it's anger or shame or grief or whatever the load is, you know, how do we find a way to relieve that burden? Yep. I love it. So good. Tell us what you do on a daily basis to take care of Alan. Is there something that you do that keeps you tuned in and top-notch now that you've been, you know, you're kind of on the other side of this period of your life that was so difficult? Um, I think the first thing, and this is recent, I, even within the last week or so, I recognized that I was kind of getting sucked back into using work as a medication. Mm -hmm. If I'm too busy to think about life, then I don't have to think about it. I spent a weekend, like I said, that angel flight retreat, and that was good for me in a lot of ways. I was able to step back out of life and look at some things. When I'm firing on all cylinders right now, I start off the morning. I've always been an early riser, so I'm usually up by 3 o'clock. I have some affirmations that I've recorded on my phone that I listen to as I get dressed. And then I'm out the door to the gym because I know that if I don't get up, and head to the gym right then. I'm not going to do it in any other time of the day. It works for other people to go at lunch, whatever. It will never work for me, or at least I haven't allowed it to work so far. So I'll go to the gym. While I'm there, my gym routine is pretty simple. I have four exercises a day. They're different ones. And I've done that because I know that I'm going to stop pretty regularly during that workout because I'm listening to a podcast and I'll take notes on what I'm listening to. So it's a workout for my mind. It's a workout for my body. Um, you could make an argument either way for which one is really getting the workout. And I get home, I have some time for journaling. My journal is 
All the same, I have, I try and find motivational quotes that I write down at the beginning. I write down what I'm grateful for for the previous day. I try and look forward to the day that I have and who do I want to touch? What are some things that I need to do? What are things that I need to remember from the previous day? I read verses in the New Testament, the Old Testament, and the scriptures every day, and I take notes on that. Um, and then my wife and I go for a walk. We walk about two miles, and then we get back, a shower, get ready for the day, and then, uh, you know, whatever hits after that. So It hits. <laughs> yeah. So, and usually it's great things. Today, when I leave here, I'll be going to meet with a lady whose HOA is foreclosing on her. I think we've got a solution where she'll be able to actually get into a better situation and we'll help her avoid that foreclosure. So it's just great. Some of the things, doors that have opened as I've just put myself out there to serve. So that's that's a normal day. And then to try to be home by five or six and spend time with the kids and, and whatever else happens at home. Yeah. So. Uh, I apologize. I don't remember your wife's name. Stephanie. Stephanie. Uh, I haven't had the chance to meet her yet, but I hope to someday. Yeah. I'm sure she's amazing. She is. You two have been together for a really long time. Yeah. We we actually have known each other since I was in the third grade. So uh, we grew up in Wickenburg. So anybody that's been in the Valley for a while or has driven to Las Vegas knows where Wickenburg yeah. is. Uh, so we grew up there together. We've uh, She was a cheerleader on my Pop Warner football team. I don't think either one of us, maybe at some point we had some thought that we might date, but for me, that didn't come until I was, you know, I think when I was 16, I worked on her dad's farm for a summer and I told her really as a friend, Hey, I'll take you out on your first date when you turn 16. Of course, when I turned 16, I had a girlfriend and I didn't ask her out and that didn't help things in the future when I really <laughs> no. did want to ask her out. She didn't forget that for some reason. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so we've known each other for a long time. And we kind of joked that we got married and then started dating afterwards. But we, our families have known each other forever, and uh, it's been a wonderful ride. Well, this, uh, well, I guess the beginning of next year, January, will be our 25th wedding anniversary. So we're, we're excited for that. So good. And kids, you have three kids? No. You're close. <laughs> I have three boys. Right, okay. I also have five girls. Oh my gosh, that's right. <laughs> I forgot it was a huge family. Yeah. Five girls, three boys. Yes. We've Amazing. Got five of them are still at home. One is married and living in Idaho. Second one moved in actually with my mom um, to keep her company. And that's been good. He's, yeah. he's also he's in flight school right now. He wants to be a pilot. So that's a lot of fun for me to watch him doing that. And then my next daughter finished cosmetology school and moved out and she's cutting hair and, you know, so enjoying life. So, yeah, yeah. So I we got five still at home and it, sometimes it, that feels like not that many kids, which sounds strange to say probably for a lot of people. Yes. <laughs> yes. I had forgotten it was a crew. Yeah. How about that? Uh, so for our listeners who, you, you mentioned early on, we were talking about Angel Flight West, really that the, the greatest challenge is the hospitals and the, the. Uh, organizations that could really help the families that they're serving right. through your services aren't aware of who you are. So as a business community, particularly in the greater Phoenix area, who might be listening, how can we best make those connections? Is it is it a phone call? Is it an email? Is it a just get on the angelflightwest.org website? What do you recommend? Yeah, I, I would say that depends on the situation. If, you know, I was, I had lunch yesterday with another Angel Flight pilot 
he asked me that same question as, you know, what are you working on in your outreach? And I told him, and he said, well, I've known the CEO of Banner Health for a long time, but I never thought that right. to even, that he wouldn't know about Angel Flight. And I said, well, I've never talked to him. I'm pretty sure he probably doesn't. So why don't we have that conversation? So the first thing would be, you probably know somebody that works in a hospital. And especially in the hospitals, any upper level management, uh, because usually the staff underneath the social workers and nurses will change hospitals and they take that knowledge with them, which is great in some ways that helps to spread the word, but also they don't determine policy and procedure. So meeting with that upper level management, helping them understand what a resource that we can be, uh, and also really a great partner. Um, Angel Flight West, for example, our operating budget is only about $2 million a year. And that's because our pilots last year donated over $8 million in like-kind donations. So any donations that we re receive, our pilots multiply that by four or five times. And so for anybody in business, if I were to walk in and say, hey, if you'll invest a dollar, I'll give you four or five back, anybody would do that deal. And that's what Angel Flight has to offer. And so reaching out to me, LinkedIn, Facebook, email, any way that they can get in touch with me and I can connect with them. I can do a Zoom presentation. I'm very happy to go in and do public speaking. I love doing that. For anybody that's listening that knows somebody that's dealing with a difficult medical situation where they're having to travel for care, then I would say, yeah, go to the website. That's a very brief intake form and one of our coordinators will reach out and schedule and then connect with me and see if I can be a resource after that. But let's get them the care that they need and the help that they need right away. Um, so those would probably be the two biggest ones. So angelflightwest.org is the website. Okay. And I love that you touched on both aspects. I was going to take us there next is if you have somebody who's in need of the services, uh, the website is the best route to go. Yeah. Thank you. Incredible. Yeah. Thank you. So when you're not flying for to be of service, do, do you and the family hop in the plane? Is there a favorite vacation destination? What do you like? Where do you like to go when it's pure pleasure? I didn't know you'd keep going with that question. I thought you'd stop with when you're not flying, what are you doing? And I was going to say, I'm thinking about flying. Now, my favorite destination overall is I've been to South America several times to Ecuador. I love visiting that country. I have friends there and just enjoy everything about it. Locally, I fly with friends and family to Sedona quite often. And we just Aaron a, just went, I think. Yeah, Aaron that. and I went. And I just had a fundraiser up there for Angel Flight West, uh, was hosted by another uh, real estate business person from the Phoenix Valley that was so gracious to have us uh, do some fundraising there. I've flown to California three times in the last month. And really, I love seeing new things and experiencing new things. So um, the airplane shrinks the world a lot for me. So I'm able to cover a lot of ground in a hurry. And so I don't know, um, Bear Lake, Idaho, Utah would be another, maybe second to Ecuador. Um, but there's other, a lot of other places I want to discover. So, and, and how long has it been since you've been to Ecuador? It's been a while? Uh, pre well, so the last time that I went, my mother-in-law was watching our kids. So there may have been another, I think my, my daughter went and lived down there and helped and volunteered in an orphanage. So I may have gone one time after that, but it was so it was probably 2018 or 2019. Oh, wow. Any yeah. plans in the near future to go? Not in the near future. Yeah. Right now for our 25th anniversary, we're saving to take the whole family to Hawaii, which we've never yes. we've never gone. And What island do you know yet? Uh, well, my daughter lived in Laie for a little while. So 
we want to visit there and see the Polynesian Cultural Center. I'm hoping that I can rent a plane when I get there and visit some of the other islands. Oh, yeah. smart. Yes. So, oh, my gosh. Good stuff on the horizon. Right. Very good. Whether or not my wife will climb in the plane and cross the ocean <laughs> with me is yet to be determined. But. She does fly with you. She doesn't, she doesn't love it. Well, her biggest concern is, I think, if something happens to me, she knows that she's going to be taken care of financially and mm-hmm. she'll be there for the kids. If something happens to both of us, our kids are going to be hurting. Yeah. So I think they'd be fine without me. They would be terrible oh, without her. <laughs> she's a wise, wise woman. Yes. And I appreciate her letting you spend time with us today and you wanting to come and share your story. And more importantly, uh, really letting pe- more people know about Angel Flight West. Oh, thank it's you. It's so good to be with you again. Yeah, it's been yes, wonderful. Much too much space in between. Uh, and we'll have to have another opportunity to come come together and have Aaron be part of that conversation. Oh, no, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. So you mentioned LinkedIn. You're also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I had mentioned Angel flightwest.org. I just want to look at my notes to make sure that's correct. It is angelflightwest.org and Alan Underwood uh, when you're looking for making a connection with you on uh, social media. Absolutely. Thanks, Karen. Yes, you're welcome. Anything else I didn't think to ask that's on your heart to say and speak to as we close up today's episode? I think we've covered it. Yeah, I love the conversation. And yeah, I I think just that if if you know somebody that's in need, um, you know, reach out. We want to the biggest problem we have is not having enough flights for our pilots. And so we'd love to, or if you're a pilot and looking for something to really right. good to do, or if you're a pilot and that's still in training, you'll have the opportunity to fly with guys that have thousands and thousands of hours and some airplanes that are really fun. And you're doing something that will change your life forever. Mm, so good. Thank you again for being here. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean business and philanthropy. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.